0: Hey friends and fam, it's John and it's time for the JmartCast for Monday, September 26. What's going on? How are ya? (laughs) Hope you had a great week. I've had a delicious week of eating uh, raw dairy products. Uh, As I said last week, I went to that unique raw dairy farm and was able to get my hands on some cow and buffalo milk and just uh, finished it all pretty much in a week. Everything that I got... And it was uh, just, I don't know, I guess if I were to describe it, I would say it's a really delicious experience. It was a very rich-tasting milk where, uh, you know, I don't normally go for, like, a glass of milk or anything. If anything, I use the milk to make my own yogurt and make my own, like, fermented dairy products, but don't just go for milk by itself. And in this case, I just kept going for more and more glasses of milk because it was so delicious tasting. Uh, One interesting thing I did was to actually leave it on the counter for a few days and not put it in the fridge. And one of the reasons why I did this was to kind of just see what would happen to it, see the life cycle of the milk and kind of uh, what the process looks like. And also just to kind of, you know, figure out what what the safety profile of something like this is, because I know it's supposed to have, you know, like these enzymes and bacteria cultures in there because it's not pasteurized, that help protect it from from being like, basically from getting spoiled. But, you know, how quick is that process and how foolproof is it? And so what I discovered was that for two days, it could stay on the counter completely fine, still as milk. But then on the third day, it had uh, turned into what's called clabber, and this is basically like a yogurt yogurt alternative it just for for normal yogurt that i make like i'll take the milk or i'll sterilize it then i'll inoculate it with the yogurt culture and i'll keep it at a 37 degree temperature celsius or about 110 degrees fahrenheit and then that's the optimal temperature for the bacteria to grow colonize the milk and solidify into yogurt for the whole container so in this case, basically that happened at room temperature through the bacteria culture that was already in the milk. And it turned into like this basically yogurt alternative, which is called Claver, And it tastes kind of like yogurt, but it's a little bit different. It's a little bit unique. And I liked it. So it was neat to see that happen. I also had some raw cream, which uh, turned into sour cream. It solidified into sour cream after a couple of days. So anyway, uh, Interesting experience. I would probably next time keep it in the fridge more so to keep like it as milk for a longer period of time if I can. Probably it would have been gone not that much later anyway. But yeah, still interesting experience to experiment with that. Okay, here's a funny thing that happened this week. So I was, uh, I don't usually use Facebook very often, but every once in a while I'll go on my Facebook account. And you know, like when... I first had Facebook groups weren't really big, but now it seems like all the posts I see on my feed are from group posts. And so I'm part of this Oakwood families group uh, because it supposedly was a good way to, you know, network with families um, in the neighborhood and, you know, get kids old stuff, you know, recycle that kind of stuff. But so I saw a post from that group that was pretty hilarious. I'm going to pull it up. Hold on. Okay, it's this concerned parent asking a the group. They go, "Question. My son wants to go for Halloween as Jafar from Aladdin. The costume has a turban. Is this cultural appropriation? I'm not lo- looking to hurt or offend anyone." And then they've got a link to like the Jafar costume <laughs> and like right away already I'm like laughing at this like cultural appropriation of Jafar. From Aladdin, like, Aladdin was already, like, if we're going to even accept the concept of cultural appropriation, which I reject completely, but Aladdin was already, like, stealing, I guess, from the Middle Eastern culture, like, you're just taking from Aladdin, like, what the hell are you talking about? And then when you click on the link, it's just a regular, like, Jafar costume, it's a pretty cool one, actually, like, it's unmistakably Jafar, no one's going to be look- looking at that and being like, you are you trying to make fun of people who wear turbans? Like, are you crazy? (laughs) Am I crazy for thinking that, like that Jafar is okay to wear as a costume? Like what the hell is wrong with people? And then the worst part of it is like, there's like a bunch of comments and you click on the comments and there's a bunch of people saying, yeah, this is like, it is cultural appropriation. You shouldn't get that. Like what? The worst comment was like, if you have to ask, then you shouldn't, you shouldn't, like, uh, wear It's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> this is so stupid. I don't know. Please let me know if I'm wrong, but I just don't. <sighs> Maybe I need someone to explain to me in, in clear detail how this is cultural appropriation. Like, cultural appropriation, like, it's just so stupid, this whole thing. Like, you're supposed to celebrate other people, so you can't, like, in any way, like, wear a costume to do that. Like, isn't intent the most important thing? Like, that's what it is. And the whole point of Halloween is to wear some sort of costume that looks like somebody else, not like you. And Jafar was a scary <laughs> character from the movie, so it's so dumb. It did make me feel good, though, when I uh, I posted a screenshot of this uh, on my Instagram stories, and somebody from my neighborhood uh, responded back to me saying, chapeau to your murderdom. I left that group long ago because of that type of BS. And then she said, the perpetrators of luxury beliefs never live the consequences of their ideas. Very poetic. (laughs) That's good. I'm going to read that one more time. The perpetrators of luxury beliefs never live the consequences of their ideas. Yeah. Yeah. That's like these politicians who had all these like lockdown rules for everybody, but then they themselves could have like little parties with no masks, with lots of people, you know, you guys go lock yourselves down and don't see your family. Me, I'm going to go have fun and have a party. (laughs) Anyway, moving on. So um, here's something I haven't, I guess, discussed too much on the podcast yet, but currently I'm training one client on a very regular basis and they've made some huge improvements in their diet and their physical activity, and uh, they were in two months, they've two, three three months actually, they've lost something like 25 pounds, so it's been a huge change, although they still have a long ways to go. But one point I've been hammering home with him is that he really needs to m- increase how much protein he's consuming. And so I've been saying, like let's try to start with hitting at least 100 grams of protein per day. And if you can do that, then we can slowly add a little bit more and more until we feel like we're at a comfortable level and we're seeing good results. And so he's he's been telling me that he got a food scale and, you know, he's uh, measuring all his food and he's hitting the 100 gram goal like for over a week now, two weeks or something like that. And then throughout conversation, it comes out to me that he actually doesn't know the difference between grams of protein and grams of meat right so in his mind like the the beef or like the chicken that he's eating he just has to measure that the weight of that and that's the grams of protein (laughs) right i don't know how many people do the same mistake it must be a lot like but because we've distorted food to just like mean these macronutrients when really it's not right like this is something a point that i bring up a lot is that there's this whole food matrix and you can't just break the meat down to just like the protein component there's also all these micronutrients in there it's everything but so he was just measuring out 100 grams of meat per day and which clearly is not enough protein it's nowhere close to 100 and was just hitting that and he'd recently hit a bit of a snag where he wasn't losing as much weight and then okay well mystery solved (laughs) you're not eating enough protein and you think you are so you're not trying to get more in so anyway cautionary tale I guess and a word of advice if you're looking to lose weight make sure you're getting enough protein and be sure to know that protein is but a small component of the total weight of uh, the food that you eat so you got to look it up on like a, an app or something to tell you like how many grams of protein are in like 100 grams of beef something like that it's a lot less than you'd expect so moving on it's the end of september last week of september october's coming up as i've mentioned in a previous episode, I'm going to be doing Sober October again this year. And so my plan is to uh, abstain from inebriating substances for the month of October. I'm going to do a daily physical challenge. I've decided my daily physical challenge is going to be to do one minute of handstanding against a wall per day, picking something that is a little bit challenging to me, but should be something that I am fairly easily able to do every day, even if I forget it at the end of the day. I should remember and uh, be able to pull off in probably two to three sets, uh, a total of one minute being upside down against the wall. Should be doable. And then I'll also have one physical challenge uh, that's not a daily challenge, but more of a just like a A test of myself, that's going to be right at the start of October. On October 1st, I'm doing an in-house Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu tournament at my gym. So that'll be interesting because I've never done a competition in Jiu-Jitsu before. So it'll be my first competition. And it'll also be interesting because the night before, I'm going to be going out dancing. So I'm going to be pretty tired for this Jiu-Jitsu competition. (laughs) Leave it to Jmart to not schedule things properly but yeah i'm actually gonna go have a pretty sweet end of september on the 30th the wife and i are gonna go see a comedy show uh tim dylan he's a pretty big comedian well known he just had a netflix special come out so pretty excited to see that and then after that tim dylan show wife and i are gonna go to a nightclub for dancing gonna see christoph and that's gonna be pretty fun probably going to try to cap the night by 2am so that by the next day at noon I can go to the jiu-jitsu tournament (laughs) we'll see how it goes it's probably going to be a disaster but I don't know it's my first tournament I'm not taking it too serious it's just more for fun and maybe if I'm exhausted from dancing the night before I'll force myself to focus more on technique and not so much on trying to win so (laughs) I'm just making excuses but That's what's going to happen. Okay, quick little story before I do a Bitcoin update. There is like these videos. Well, first of all, the story is that banks in Lebanon are closed indefinitely. And they closed down because they weren't allowing people to withdraw their money to begin with. They were open, but they wouldn't let them people withdraw their money or at least large amounts. And then there's a bunch of these, like a series of these videos of people going into Lebanese Banks and robbing them, but except they were they were robbing them with like guns and stuff, but they weren't even like robbing them. They're just like trying to get their money out so they could pay for important things. Like I think there's like so usually some medical story, you know, like someone's dying and they need money for surgery or whatever. But anyway, all these people kept going into Lebanese banks to try to get their money out by force, and so now they've just closed down indefinitely. <laughs> so. I don't know if you need a better, uh, I don't know, advertisement for Bitcoin, but that's never going to (laughs) happen if you own Bitcoin. Uh, Actually, that's not completely true. Not only do you have to own Bitcoin, but you have to self-custody it. That's the beauty of it is that unlike most assets, there is no counterparty risk and you have the ability to take ownership, take self-custody of it in a way that no one can confiscate away from you. So, you don't have to go into a bank and rob a people at gunpoint because that's just out of the question, out of the equation. Mhm. So, Bitcoin update, block height 755,459, 1 Bitcoin is trading at 18,916 US dollars. One cuck buck will buy you 5,286 Satoshis. Satoshis are the smallest subunit that Bitcoin can be broken down into. One Bitcoin subdivides into 100 million pieces. Each one of those is called a Satoshi. And so if you want to buy some Bitcoin and you're in Canada, you want to use ShakePay. They're a great exchange that make it very easy to use their user interface and they charge very few fees. I do have a referral link in the description of the podcast, so check that out. If not, no worries. There's other ways of getting Bitcoin too. You don't have to use uh, ShakePay. There's non-KYC, non-know-your-customer ways of doing it so that you can purchase your Bitcoin without giving personal information like your name and such. Last week, I mentioned that I was reading the book called The Fiat Standard, which is written by an author named Saif Adinamus, who is well-known in the Bitcoin community as the author of The Bitcoin Standard, which is a really important, I guess, canonical book in the realm of Bitcoin. So now this is his follow-up the Fiat Standard, which is also very good, and I promised that I'd highlight some sections and kind of read a few parts from them for the podcast, so I've prepared that, so here we go. Maybe before I read, actually, I should give a quick definition of what Fiat means, So fiat is, by decree, is what it translates to. And it's just basically talking about how money is just paper money that has no actual value behind it, except for the fact that a central bank says that this is the money that we accept, and therefore you must use it. That's all it means. And then here's uh, an excerpt from the fiat standard, chapter five, fiat balances uh, universal debt slavery. The subheading is called negative. Peculiarly among all monetary systems known to the author, fiat is the only one where the sum of all balances at any point in time is negative. Because of the enormous incentive to accumulate debt and the fact that the native token is not physical or scarce in any real sense, financial institutions constantly generate negative balances for their clients the total sum of all debts far exceeds the quantity of money available. All other media of exchange are pre- present goods and any debt must be lent by someone who owns it first. So the balances always add up to a positive number. Yeah. So there's so much debt in the system, but not nowhere near enough money to cover that debt. And that, that constantly keeps increasing because of the interest, right? And, the money supply is not be able to increase at the same pace to, able to, to be able to cover the debt. So there's always a negative balance, which is insane to think about. That never happened with like shells or even gold, right? Like when, when the money was actual physical and scarce and difficult to obtain. It wasn't just like appeared out of thin air, right? Like today's money does. <laughs> anyway. Next uh, paragraph, he says, as explained in the previous chapter, the underlying technology behind the fiat standard is the ability to create monetary units through the process of lending. This monetization of debt has the same effect as the monetization of any market good. It incentivizes the creation of more monetary tokens. This means that the fiat economic system is highly geared toward the creation of more debt and fiat users are incentivized to get into debt as much as possible fiat is a tiered system low level users are only able to access physical paper money higher level users are able to open bank accounts and secure debt and the financially responsible ones will get into large amounts of it for the bottom tier which constitutes the majority of fiat users worldwide balances are positive But the balances of the top tier of users, who constitute the vast majority of global monetary wealth, are usually negative. Under the fiat standard, being rich does not usually mean having many fiat tokens. It rather signifies owing a lot of fiat-denominated debt, which dwarfs the amount of physical fiat and fiat in savings and and checking accounts. Yeah, exactly. There's only so much like actual cash and money and savings and uh, and checking accounts. But yet each time somebody like takes the loan to buy a house, well, now all of a sudden there's all this debt that has to, has to be paid off. Well, if everyone's buying houses <laughs> and there's still the same amount of money like existing, like where is it coming from to pay off all this debt? I don't know. Anyways, he goes on, holders of present fiat tokens, whether in cash or bank accounts, are constantly subject to having the value of these tokens diluted by lenders who can create new present tokens by issuing credit based on future receipt of fiat tokens. It therefore makes the most sense for individuals, corporations, and governments not to hold positive balances as they would be devalued through inflation, but to borrow. Users with negative balances, i.e. those in debt, lack security and risk catastrophic loss. Financial security in the sense of having a stable amount of liquid wealth saved for the future is no longer available in the current system. You will either witness the dissipation of your wealth through inflation or you will borrow and live in the insecurity of losing your collateral if you miss a few payments. Fiat has effectively destroyed savings as a financial instrument with enormously negative consequences. Yeah, like hopefully that all makes sense. But essentially you are uh, incentivized to take on more debt because that's the way to accumulate wealth. Because if you just have savings, that's going to be devalued over time. But then because of that, awful incentive you're put in this situation where you're constantly in like in financial insecurity because all that debt is piling up maybe you miss a payment and then now you're like in a horrible situation right so these are horribly misaligned incentives that have really catastrophic um, implications on the shape and structure of our society i'll Read some more parts from the book next week, but I'm going to end it there. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you for sharing the episode. Thank you for reviewing it and uh, uh, giving it uh, five stars on Apple and Spotify. Love you all, and I'll see you next week. As always, stay active, be grateful. Jmart out.